This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling? with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I'm so thankful that you are here today joining us for episode three of the podcast. This is a weekly podcast that will drop every Tuesday, and I envision that this will be a support system for all the parents out there. My hope is that you will leave this podcast each week armed with something that will help you in your own parenting in some way, big or small. Today, you are listening to episode three, and I'm talking with Bianca Dotton. Bianca is the mother of three. She's a lifestyle expert, a fashionista, a crafter, a traveler, a lover of cooking, baking, creating, and she is the founder of an organization called Mamas of the NICU. Bianca is a multiple-time NICU mom, and she saw a need for connecting other parents who have been in the same position as her. And so she did something about that. She created this organization. In this episode, we talk about being a NICU mom, postpartum depression, life after loss. Bianca's second child, her son Tristan, passed away at six months of age after a six-month period of being in the NICU. And so we talk about life after loss and walking through that while caring for another child. She had her daughter when they walked through that just three years ago. Um, She has another son now too, Trevor, who is one. And Bianca has also recently shared that she is in need of a kidney donor herself. So this is a woman who has a lot going on. She has walked through so much hardship and she's doing it with so much grace and I am pretty much in awe of the way she lives her life. There's a little bit of something for everyone in this episode, so enjoy. And if you do enjoy it, please leave us a rating and review and share it with your friends on social media. You can tag us on Instagram. We are why is everyone yelling over there? We also have a Facebook group going on. Make sure you join our Facebook group. It's also called why is everyone yelling? Okay, enjoy this conversation with Bianca Dotton. All right. Well, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling, everyone. I don't know if everyone's yelling at your house today, but today I'm so excited to be talking with Bianca Dotton for the show. Welcome to the podcast, Bianca. Thank you for having me. Your house does not sound like everyone's yelling. It sounds quiet right now. I sent them downstairs for a snack, but I'm sure at some point they're going to come up here and start yelling. (laughs) Um, Well, I have just been seriously immersed in your blog for the past few days and I am super inspired by everything that you have overcome in your life and just walking through what you walk through every single day so I'm really excited to share your story with the listeners. Thank you. I think it'll be a really great talk between the two of us. So first I just want to start by saying your blog design is amazing. Thank you. It's actually um by 17th 17th Avenue Um, and I actually found it on Etsy but it's customizable so I customized all the colors and things like that to match my brand but she has some really great designs. 
it's so user friendly and I and I feel like as someone who has a website, I don't really run a regular blog or anything, but it's always hard to figure out like how do I want this to flow so that people can find what they're looking for and you have it so well categorized like if I want to look at stuff about mom stuff if I want to look about at lifestyle stuff like everything has its place and it's so easy to search yeah and I I did that purposely because like that's how my brain functions and if like things don't function like that for me then it's very hard for me to find things to be efficient to be able to just function period so I wanted the site to be kind of that same flow so people could find things easily because it drives me crazy when I go to someone else's site and I can't find something. I know, but my brain, I'm not a very organized person. I was like, this probably was a lot of work. (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't that much work. And I I think um, that's why like there's those people out there who like do this for a living. Like Uh they just do sites and the organization of it. Um, And that's, that's like their thing. And I think that they're definitely helpful. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's introduce you and your family to the listeners. You're the mom of of three. And um, maybe you can just share a little bit about your kids and your husband and where you live and all that good stuff. Yes. So we currently live in Orlando. Um, I've actually lived in Florida my entire life. Um, So, and I was born here. So I'll I'll probably at some point. (laughs) Um, this is where I'll, where I'll die. Um, but I've lived here. I have three kids, um, Tatiana, Tristan, and Trevor. Trevor is the youngest. He recently turned one. Um, so he is just running all over the place and tearing everything down. And it's a lot different having a little boy in the house than it is with a little girl. Um, <laughs> but they get along so well and she's very helpful. And I think that their age gap, because she's nine, so there's a wide age gap between them, is very, it's very helpful for us because she's able to, you know, do things and be more nurturing and helpful. She can read to him. Um, so that was very beneficial for us. It wasn't planned that way, but it was, it ended up in our favor. So um, I'll take that. So we live in Orlando. My husband and I are actually high school sweethearts. Um, we met in physics class and we've been together for 11 years and then we've had three children in those 11 years. We bought our first home and we've just made like Orlando our home together and we really love it here. So tell us a little bit about Tristan. So Tristan is our middle child and he was born um, at 34 weeks. Actually, I, when I got pregnant with him, it was kind of, we had been trying for a while um, and I wasn't able to get pregnant. And then I just happened to be pregnant one day. Um, It was actually on April Fool's Day that I found out (laughs) that I was pregnant with him. Um, So my husband didn't believe me when I told him. Um, But then, you know, we went through the pregnancy. He was born at 34 weeks uh, unexpectedly on like a Saturday morning and it was football season. So it was game day. Um, so he was born unexpectedly rushed to the hospital. I ended up having him in triage because they weren't able to get me up to a room quickly enough. Wow. So it was, it was a very interesting experience. Um, 
a good story to tell. And um, I literally just had him like that. And then, you know, when he was born, he was born crying and screaming like, you know, baby steal. And then all of a sudden he had just stopped breathing. Um, so that was like a big scare for us. And the team from the NICU had to come into the emergency room and kind of assess him and see what they could do um, to get him breathing again. So he ended up going to the NICU and he stayed there for six months. And then maybe about, I think it was about a month in of being in the NICU, he got a tracheostomy. So we had to learn how to do, um, we, we didn't know what a tracheostomy was before going into the NICU. So it was a complete shock for us and for Tatiana because she was five at the time. And this was a lot of information for her to take in. So we were just kind of figuring out life as NICU parents and like juggling life between the hospital and being at home um, because she was in school at the time in second grade. And so um, we were just figuring it out. Um, months went by, Tristan was doing well. He was, he did have his ups and downs with like breathing, um, but he overall, he did pretty well. But then one day we had, we were scheduled to bring him home. He was home for about 13 days. And then we had to take him back to the hospital um, because he was having issues breathing. So then after we brought him back to the hospital, that's where he spent his last two weeks uh, before passing away. So that was another like kind of obstacle that we had to kind of overcome in grieving together as a family is a really difficult experience. Yeah. So when you brought him home for those um, few days, did you know the end was near or were you thinking long-term we're going to figure out this trach and we're going to be home? So we did not know that the end was near. Um, when he was born, he did have, you know, di different anomalies and things like that, but none of them were signs of like that he would eventually pass away. Um, and he was doing very well at home. We, and we had nursing as like a protocol. When you bring home a baby with a tracheostomy, you're required to have nursing 24-7. Um, so we did have a nurse, a morning and a night nurse still in our home to help take care of him. So he was doing really well. And I just think that at some point, his body just just wasn't able to sustain him anymore. Um, and so we did find out after he passed away that he didn't have any um, trachea cartilage rings, which are the, the rings in your trachea that keeps it open. Um, and that's not something that they were able to discover when he was alive. So that kind of like shed a light for us about everything, you know. So eventually, yes, that could have changed the outcome had we known mm -hmm. about it while he was alive. Um, but it would have been something that would have been very hard to, to find out in the first place. Wow. How did you walk through that with your daughter? I just imagine that <sighs> grieving a child while also parenting another child must be so difficult. 
Um, it is really hard. And in the beginning, I don't think we really understood because, you know, there's the stages of grief and the first um, stage is denial. So, of course, we were kind of trying to figure it out ourselves. Like, is this a real thing? Is it really happening? Mm -hmm. So we were kind of trying to put the pieces together ourselves. And at the same time, she was trying to do the same thing because to her, it wasn't real yet, just like it wasn't real to us. Um, so we had to kind of reach out to other sources and figure out what the best way to, to handle this was because I knew that if it was tearing us apart, then it was doing 10 times worse to her because she couldn't in her mind kind of put those pieces together and make sense of it. So um, we ended up going to, um, we ended up seeing a grieving counselor. So at what the hospital does, or I think most hospitals do this, they give you a resource list of places in your area. Um, and so there was a grief counselor associated with the hospital or one of the local hospitals. And so we ended up going there first um, because they gave you like free services until you were able to find a better fit for you, um, like a long-term fit. So we ended up going there and she did, they did what's called play therapy. So it's just therapy where you're acting out your emotions with toys and through drawing. Um, so that really worked really well for her uh, in the beginning. And then as she got older, she learned how to express her emotions a little bit better. So that's where we really started with it all because we were trying to figure it out too. Wow. Play therapy. I'm sure that is a concept that works for all sorts of different like post-traumatic stress things that happen in kids' yeah. lives. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think it's really beneficial for, for any parent, like if your kid is going through something. Yeah. Um, I know I, as I asked the question about um, going through the grieving while also parenting her, I, I guess my mind went to two places. My mind went to coming home to an empty house would be so hard. And I'm sure there's parents that have listened that are listening that have done that too. And then also coming home to a house with a, a child that you have to care for and love was probably also a godsend at the same time. Yeah. So I, I tell people all the time that I don't think if it wasn't for Tatiana that I would have been able to get through it um, because she was, she was like, I was getting through it for her. Mm. Um, and, and she was really like my reason for going through the motions and getting better because I had like her to take care of. I had, you know, responsibilities as a mom to her. Mm. So she really, I, I don't think she realizes this, but she helps me get through it more than I helped her get through it. Um, and I think that's a benefit too. As, as long as you realize that you have someone else to live for, you know, to go through those, to, to do the healing for. How old is Tatiana now? She's nine. She will be 10 in February. Okay. And now you have Trevor and he's one. 
Yes. Talk to us a little bit about NICU life and um, just what that looks like. You know, I read your eulogy for Tristan and all the heartfelt words you said about his nurses and doctors. Um, Maybe you can share with our listeners a little bit about your experience in that part of your life. So with, with Tristan, so fun fact, all of our kids are actually preemies. Um, Tatiana was just like barely at the cusp. Wow. Um, right before, like she was 36 and six. So she was like a day, a day early. Um, but they just won't give it to me. They're like, nope, she's a preemie. And I'm just like, well, it's just one day. And I just have the the day. And they were like, nope, technically she's a preemie. So, um, all of, all of my kids were, were preemies. But Tristan was the first time that we had ever been in the NICU um, because of his breathing issues, um, because he actually was close to close to being a normal weight. So his breathing issues were mainly why he was in there. And it was a huge shock for us because when we were before we were in there, we didn't know anyone that had been Mm. in the NICU or we didn't know that we knew people that were in the NICU. Um, and we found out after Tristan had been admitted that we, we did in fact have like friends and family members who had babies in the NICU and it was just a huge shock for us because to see your baby in like this box, um, and you're not able to like get them out whenever you want to you you touch them whenever you want to you know because there's there are rules about when you can take them out how long you can take them out for um who can hold your baby it's there's a lot of rules around the NICU for the baby because they want them to have um a stable environment and that to to like me or to any parent is a huge shock because you're used to that baby being yours Mm -hmm. and being able to have control of the situation um and in the NICU it's the complete opposite like you don't have any control at all um you can have like opinions and you can ask for advice but you don't have like complete control like you can't just take your baby home whenever you want to um, and that was a huge learning curve for me because I'm not very, I don't like to give control to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a huge thing for me. And when I had got um, gotten uh, discharged from the hospital, leaving Tristan there was like the hardest part. Um, and still, like, I think about it to this day, like, what would it have been like if we would have been able to bring him home? Like, there's a lot of what ifs surrounding it. But the longer that we were in there, like, I realized that, like, as parents, we have rights mm-hmm. and we have, we do have some sort of control because at the end of the day, it still is our baby. They're just taking care of them for the moment. Um, so, like, I realized that I could ask for certain nurses. Um, there's a such thing as a do not care list, which you can ask for nurses to not care for your baby oh, if you wow. don't like the way that they're doing certain things. Um, and that was my favorite thing about the NICU probably because I'm very particular about how things are done, how people like care for my kids. So that um, 
once I learned about that, we did have like a list of nurses that we didn't want caring for our baby because we didn't like the way that they interacted with them. Um, and that was a huge thing. And I always tell moms now, if they're in the NICU, that they um, should utilize that list because they want to be comfortable while they're there. Wow. Yeah. And I don't remember what the nurse's name was that you wrote about, but it's emotional reading it because you talked about her like literally just sitting by his little, whatever he sleeps in. What, what do they sleep mm-hmm. in when they're in there? Their little bassinet things. Yeah. Um, so there's three different things. They um, have like a warmer, which is like an enclosed type sleeping situation. I don't know the proper term. Um, Me neither. <laughs> and then there's, there, there's an open bassinet. And then once they get a little bit older, they can actually sleep in an open crib. Um, so Tristan never had the, um, the warmer. He only had the bassinet and the crib. Um, but yeah, I think you're referring to Christine, um, which was his primary night nurse. And well, both Christine and Priscilla um, were really great to us while we were in there. And they became like family because they would sit, you know, by his bedside and they would do their charting and they would just talk to him. They would sing to him. If I wasn't there, um, then they would take him out and hold him if they could. They just really took the time to care for him like he was their own. Mm. Um, And not everybody does that. Wow. Yeah. You know, I think about NICU nurses. That is such a, it's a, it's a special person to have a job like that. And that's so, that's so cool that you formed that relationship with those nurses, you know, I, and that Tristan formed that relationship with them. Um, You know, I was thinking about this because I heard you mention on another podcast um, that you cre- did create some bonds with some other families that were in the NICU at the same time. And what I wonder is, how does that look going forward when some of you lose your babies and some of you still have your babies? Yeah, I think that that was like the hardest part for me because we were in there for six months and they don't move babies around unless they're like moving to another pod which means they're doing better and they're getting ready to go home um so we were in the same room for the entire six months until we went back then we were in a different um a different room we were actually in our own room because we were in isolation um but we stayed in the same room for pretty much six months and we had maybe five to six babies if not more like roommates um because in our particular room there's there's four babies two on each side um so our roommate the one next next to us um we had maybe about five to six without within that six months and it's like really hard to see like your baby doing great and the baby next to you not doing so well um because there were times I think there were maybe like two or three babies who were our roommates that ended up passing away. Mm. Um, And that's really hard to watch because you start wondering what's going to happen to my baby. Um, And it kind of like messes with you mentally. And there were, there were a few other roommates, two of them actually that we're still friends with to this day. Um, Three of them actually. And they're, they're babies. They're all boys. They're doing really well. Um, 
but it was really hard to see them like do better and go home Mm -hmm. and not come back um, because we were still there at the same time. Like you're happy for them, but you want to go home so badly. Um, But after Tristan passed away, they were all so supportive. Um, They came to his funeral and they were, they were just really supportive. And even now, like if we have something, you know, to celebrate his birthday, then they come to visit or, um, you know, we keep in touch on Facebook. And sometimes it is hard because one of the babies was in Tristan's same situation. Um, and I think their birthdays are only a couple days apart, mm. um, but they both had tracheostomies and now the other baby doesn't have a trach at all. And he's doing really well. He goes to daycare. Um, he's walking. I think he's trying to, um, he's talking. So it's, it's really hard, but I think you, when, the more healing that you do, the easier it is to watch. Um, because you know that like, there's nothing that you could have done to change the outcome. You know, I remember this is so, this feels so insignificant to say, knowing what you've walked through but I even remember when I had a miscarriage and my sister-in-law was having her baby shower and it was like so hard for me because you know I would have been pregnant at that same time and it's it's hard because you want to be happy for these other people but at the same time even three years later you're still grieving the loss of what what could have been yeah and and when I was when we were trying to get pregnant with Trevor we were trying for months and months and months. And I had just been um, diagnosed with kidney disease. And so we had decided to stop altogether. And then like those months that followed, it seemed like everyone we knew was getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, and it was so hard to just watch everyone get pregnant. And everyone was having boys. So it was kind of like, everyone's getting pregnant and they're having a boy. So it was reminding me of Tristan so much and wanting to have another baby at the same time. So it was really hard to watch, but then we ended up getting pregnant with Trevor. So it worked out in the end, but it was, it was hard to watch for those couple of months. Okay. So I would love to talk about Mamas of the NICU, an organization that you founded. Um, Just share with us a little bit about what it is. So I started Mamas of the NICU. It was really, it really just started as like a passion project. And my husband will tell you whenever I get the idea from, for something, like I always take it to the extreme. I can't just like <laughs> have just like one thing. Um, it started as a passion project because when I was in the NICU, I found that I was like always journaling or keeping notes or taking pictures. And I would print them out, but I would have nowhere to put them in like one spot so that I could have everything all together. So I created a journal that um, it's a 60 day journal and you're able to keep track of every single thing for 60 days. You can put pictures in there. You can have your note, your nurses write notes to you you can keep track of the questions that you ask the doctors every day, whether you held your baby, um, did skin to skin, did they get a bath that day, pretty much all the details of every day for 60 days. 
um, because I just wanted something that I could have to keep track of everything because that's how my brain works. Yeah. Um, I like to have things in order and the journal allowed me to do that in an organized fashion. And so I wasn't always losing things. And I found that other moms while they were in there, they journaled too, but they use like composition notebooks or they just use apps on their phone. So we all had a different way of doing it. And I thought that the journal would just be a really good keepsake to have because later on in life, you could give it to your kid and say, this is how your time in the NICU was. So it's just a really great keepsake. And that's kind of how Mamas of the NICU started. Um, And then I really just wanted to have something that was for Tristan too, because after he had passed away, there wasn't really anything that like other people could remember him by. Mm. Um, So I really wanted people to have a way to remember him and to do something for Nikki moms. Cause I think that sometimes we're forgotten Mm. and the mental toll that that happens while we're in there isn't, isn't considered. Um, and I know like most hospitals, they have like in our hospital, it, they, it was called a social worker, but they're not mental health counselors. Um, and that's really one of the things that I, that I want to focus on with Mamas of the NICU, because I think that a lot of moms go through things mentally and they're not addressed mm-hmm. because A, there's just a stigma around having mental health issues Mm -hmm. and B you just don't take the time for yourself while you're in there because you're so focused on your baby. Um, But I mean, when you think about postpartum depression and the PTSD that you suffer from being in there, there really is a huge lack of mental health counseling in that space. Yeah, postpartum depression is so real and the added layer of being a NICU mom while go walking through that and processing all the post traumatic stress with that, it's just it's a whole nother ball game. So you guys still have a private Facebook group and everything where people can connect if they want to be a part of that community? Yeah. Um and in the Facebook group it's really great because moms are able to join Um, We do ask questions to make sure that like you're actually like a mom and and not, um, you know, just someone that wants to join just for the fun of it. Because, you know, Facebook groups sometimes can get out of control when when people join. So um, and we want to keep like that, that privacy element and we want the moms to be protected. Um, But it's really great because the moms can ask questions. And they can get feedback from other moms who might have been in their position. Um, so it's a really great environment for, you know, moms, whether you're just in the NICU or you're, you've been in the NICU in the past. We call them graduated moms because they've graduated from the NICU. Um, but it's a really great mix of moms. Let me ask you this. As someone who has walked through the NICU, has walked through loss, um, you know, still walking through loss that so many years 
past even. What is your message to moms who are freshly walking through either the NICU and then also a mom who might be walking through that loss? I would say take time to digest what you're going through um, and and just talk, maybe talk to some of the other moms in the NICU because one of the things that I think that I would redo if I were in the NICU again um, or if I were to redo that experience is I would talk to other moms in there sooner um, because it took me a while to kind of open up to the other moms um, because we're all still hyper-focused on our babies that we're not making connections with the moms maybe that are our roommates or that are in the NICU too. And I know that some hospitals have like parent meetings or parent support groups within the NICU. So I would say definitely try to go to those and make friends or make connections with some of the other parents because it really helps to have someone that's going through what you're going through at the same time because they really understand um, where you are. Yeah, I want to put a link to, um, I don't know what the ho- a hotline is in case anybody needs help right now because I feel like there's maybe a mom listening, you know, there could be moms listening right now that just need to talk to someone now and that's never... It's never, um, it's never the wrong move to, to call somebody if you need help. And then, you know, someone's in the pits right now. What's our message to them? Like, like you can do this. I haven't walked through this, though. You have, uh, Bianca. So, like, I'm sure that there were moments where you just felt like, I, how? How? Yeah. There were a lot of moments and even some days I look back and I'm like, how did I get through that? Um, and and someone told me while I was in the NICU that you literally just have to focus on one minute at a time. And and that's that's it. That's all that you can do. Because if you start to think about what's going to happen or, you know, what could have happened, then you will like literally drive yourself crazy so you just focus on one minute at a time, one breath at a time, and, and that's it. Okay. Changing directions a tiniest bit. You mentioned that you were diagnosed with a kidney disease. And recently you posted a blog about needing a kidney donor. Yes. You are walking through motherhood you're walking through law, the loss of a child, and you're also living with a chronic disease. But I know you work really hard to um, stay positive and thrive um, and look at the good in all of this. So share a little bit about that part of your life. So when I was diagnosed, it was, it was a real shock because I did not know um, that this even ran in my family, um, because no one else had, has ever been diagnosed with this in my family at all. I'm the first person. And so when I was diagnosed, it was, it was a bit of a shock. And, um, like, I just had no idea what it meant. Um, so I did a lot of research. I saw, maybe I, I know at 
in the beginning, I saw like two doctors to confirm it, to just make sure that this was like the right diagnosis. Um, and it took me actually seeing four doctors to find one that like I really loved um, and that just didn't want to put me on a bunch of medications. And then like we just took the time, my husband and I to just digest it and figure out like what it meant. And I didn't, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't think at all that I would need a kidney so quickly. Yeah. Um, but then I got pregnant with Trevor and my pregnancy was high risk and it was very, very rough on my body. So here we are today needing a kidney. Um, but in the beginning and even still now, sometimes like there are really rough days where I just have to like tell myself that I need to like have a seat and like just rest. Um, but in the beginning, it was a really tough thing trying to find the balance of the right medications and vitamins to kind of keep me going so that I could keep up with, you know, children because they're young, they're they have energy all the time they eat every five minutes so it's just I really needed to find the right things that could keep me going um and then so finally we found like the right combination of medications and vitamins that could keep me going and so that has really helped me a lot and then I think just being really active or just you know the the working part of it helps me out a lot more because when I'm like sitting down and I'm stagnant that I feel like puts more pressure on my body than than being up and working because the blood isn't flowing it's just I'm just sitting still um and it's not helping my body to you know move around and and remember that we're supposed to keep going mm-hmm. so it's been a it's been a roller coaster um and some days are really hard but like I've learned that like you have to ask for help and like have those people that you can count on so like Tatiana is homeschooled and so we have friends that if she's struggling with something in homeschool and I just can't um get to it or maybe something that I don't remember then we phone we call it phone a friend um and they like will walk her through whatever she is working on at the moment. Um, so just things like that. Um, and then learning how to take breaks mentally is has really helped me too. That's so awesome that you all have friends like that. Um, I do think that moms have a really hard time asking for help. Um, when we had our fourth and I had four kids, six and under, I remember just surrendering to that because I was like, I need help. Like I need to ask my neighbors to walk my oldest across the street. And you know what? Like that's really not a burden on them (laughs) to walk my child across the street. But it still felt like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I feel like I'm using them. You know, like I feel like I'm like taking advantage of this friendship. But really like I just needed help in the simplest of ways. Um, And it would sometimes it's really hard as a mom to be stubborn about that and just be like, I could do it. I could do it all. Why not? You know, like ask for help. If you need help, there are people that are probably willing to help. Yeah. Um, There's always somebody willing to help and you don't know until you ask. So like when I shared 
So when I shared that the post about me needing a kidney donor um, and just like kind of shared the story and I asked people um, to share it on Instagram, I was really surprised by how many people were just willing to share. And that was that was me asking for help. Mm. And like I had been holding off on doing that for so long because I didn't think that people would be willing to help and to share um so I was shocked that when I finally decided to do it how um much of a response it got yeah I'm curious um as you mentioned like I'm curious with the kidney disease I'm, I'm sure you feel a lot of fatigue um and I'm sure it's scary at times I find that when I'm scared about my own health issues that arise that I oftentimes get like extra irritated with my kids and then I feel guilty because I'm like obsessing over my own body when my biggest job is to be a mom. So how do you balance those feelings? I don't even think balance is the right word, but like how do you like navigate that? Um, I do get irritated often. Um, but even before this, I got irritated often. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's just like, that's, that's, how my brain works. Yeah, um, that's life I'm with like kids. a very organized person. And if things aren't done like a certain way, then I get really irritated. Um, so like now I just try to like let things go. So if it's, if it's something that like, I know I've asked my daughter to do like two or three times and, and she doesn't do it, then I just let it go. And I pass it on to my husband um, rather than like getting upset about it because um, it's just not worth getting super upset over when I could just pass it on to him. Um, because I know that if he gets angry and his blood pressure raises, then that's not going to be dangerous for him, but it's dangerous for me. So I just, I just pass it on. Yeah. Um, and then I've learned to let a lot of things go. Um, so that's just really how I've tried to do. And sometimes I just have to like step away and come back to something because yeah. it's, something will work you up so much and then you just have to I mean you just have to like step away take some deep breaths and then come back to it um because it's just not most things are not worth getting worked up over so what is the process now I know that the transplant list is crazy like three to five year waiting list and you're going to need someone to step up and be a donor way before that if you don't want to do dialysis. So what does that process look like? So um, now it's just like a big waiting game. So once people apply to be a donor, they have to go through an evaluation. Um, And on my end, I'm still waiting to go through my evaluation. So they can't go through their evaluation until I go through mine. And so it's just like a big waiting game because insurance is involved. So that takes, you know, weeks sometimes for things to get done. Um, and, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So that just will probably slow things down a little bit more. Um, but I think that once like the insurance part is good and my evaluation is done, like things will move a little bit quicker. Um, but it's really just a waiting game now of going through all the testing and figuring out if people are a match or not. Um, so 
that's that's just what we're doing. We're waiting now. I imagine the taking things minute by minute advice from being in the NICU is helpful now. Yeah, I try to keep myself really, really busy um, so that I'm not focusing on that Mm -hmm. portion um, of like where we're at in the process, because um, if I just think about it constantly, then it's, it's going to drive me crazy. So I try to keep myself really busy, whether it's with the kids or like with uh, any projects that I have, um, just to try to keep my mind off of things. Well, last little topic before we move to into podcast. Um, how do you prioritize your marriage when all of this is so <laughs> challenging with health and, and kids and NICU and just all the things? So that for us takes a lot of work because the kids are so young and they need so much time. So um, but like we've moved bedtime up. Um, it used to be 830. So now it's eight o'clock. Um, so then after once they're in the bed at eight, like that's our time. Um, and then, you know, on the weekends and stuff, they have, um, you know, time together so that they're like playing or they're, they'll watch a movie together or we'll have like a family movie night. So then we're all together. Um, and then once in a while we have, you know, family members come over and babysit so that we can do things. Um, and then we really just talk through a lot of things that we're going through, um, because it is a lot to process for both of us. Well, I appreciate you sharing all of this. I'm sure it's not easy to talk about even three years later. Um, and it's just a continuous process for you throughout the rest of your life processing Tristan's life and I you know I hope this podcast episode can honor him in some way thank you I think it I think it really will um okay how do we find mamas of the NICU on Facebook if there are NICU moms listening um so if you go on Facebook you can search for Mamas of the NICU and it will, the group should pull up, but if it doesn't, um, you can go onto the, just the regular Facebook page and it's linked to the Facebook page. Okay. And what is your website? Is it just Bianca.com? Yes. Okay. And just so everybody knows, we talked a lot about the NICU and um, life after loss of a child, but she is all over like DIY stuff, traveling style. She's the cutest clothes. Where do you do your shopping? Um, I do a lot of Target, um, but I also love H&M, a little bit of Zara here and there. Oh, Zara. I always CJ forget Max. about Zara. Yeah, they. I always love their end of season sales. Um, <laughs> TJ Maxx and Marshalls and Home Goods are huge. Um, and where else? I think that's about it for the kids. We do a lot of like Carter's and Oshkosh. Um, and then we love the Cat and Jack line from Target. Oh, I love Cat and Jack. It's so cute. Yeah, it is. Um, and then you guys are always doing home projects as well. I love that picture behind you. The picture behind me? Yes, I love it. Um, that's actually from Etsy. Okay. Yeah. Um, they have some really good pictures that... Um, we like to get from there for like printables and put in frames. Uh Um, And then Pinterest too has some really great um, like framed pictures that we've found on there. 
Yeah. So if you guys are looking for affordable like ideas for decorating your home and DIY, make sure you check out her blog for sure because they're updating their home now and she's sharing that along the way as well. You have a really cute calendar too. I love Thank that you. calendar, but I don't understand how you made it for like $12 or something crazy like that. <laughs> um, so I actually used a Cricut to make the design and then the glass portion um, I actually bought online from Amazon. What is a Cricut? It's a uh, cutting machine. So oh. it basically just cuts out the, the vinyl or the design that you're going to use. Okay. That sounds really advanced for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, Bianca. Well, this has been wonderful. What's one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done? um, So one thing that's on my list is to write a book. I love it. It will speak to so many people. Yeah, I definitely think so. And now like with with, uh, me going through like the, the transplant process, that's another added layer. Yeah, you got a lot of layers for sure. Yeah, definitely. What is the best, most recent book that you've read? Ooh, so I've, um, the last book that I read that was really, really good was Big Magic. Um, have you ever read that? It's so yeah, good. I did read it. Um, it's, it's so good. And a friend recommended it to me a while, a while ago, and I just procrastinated. But it was just, it was, it was really good. Yeah, it's really good for anybody who's like of the creative mindset. Some of the things, it's Elizabeth Gilbert. Some of the things she says, I'm like, you are kind of out there, but (laughs) it like, it makes sense. And it really, and if you're like looking to write a book, read that book. Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And once I started reading it, I was like, okay, I can see how this has happened in my life. So it was, it was a really, it was a lot of aha moments when I was reading it. Do you have a favorite kids book for your kids, either your daughter or your son? Um, so we love Dr. Seuss. So all the places you'll go is, is one of my favorites for us. It's just a really good inspirational story. Um, my Tatiana loves to read. So we have a ton of books that I could go on with book recommendations for days um, but that's like the one staple that they that all my kids get when they're born. Love it. Yeah, that's a good gift idea too. Um, okay, what is the message that you want to leave our listeners with today? Um, that you can do anything no matter what your circumstances are. Bianca, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. All right. Thank you, friends, for being here. Thank you, Bianca, for sharing your story. Everything we talked about will be in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. Check us out on Instagram. Why is everyone yelling? As well as Facebook, where we have a group over there. Thank you so much for being here today. And we will see you next Tuesday.